thank you for joining us for this podcast from Abundant Life. We pray that you will be blessed and encouraged by this word. Now, here's Pastor Scott. I want to continue talking to you tonight about what I started with this morning, talking about fasting. I'm going to read in Matthew chapter 6, three verses that Jesus said regarding this verse, beginning in verse 16. Jesus said, Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance. For they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your father who is in the secret place. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. I want to talk to you tonight some more about fasting. Pray with me. God, thank you so much for allowing us to come back into your house tonight. Thank you for giving us a place to meet in this community. God, I thank you for this community. Lord, I thank you for the west side of Jacksonville, and I pray that you would use us in this community and throughout the world to honor you, to glorify you, and to exalt your name. God, as we look at your word tonight, I pray that you would teach us by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Before I get into tonight's Bible study, I want to call your attention to the flags across the back. These are countries where we have missionaries that we send money to every month by their own testimony, they only eat because we send them money. They only exist. Their ministry only continues because we send them money. We've got their active newsletters on the wall over here in these racks. We've got a map that shows where they are. These are not organizations. When we started this church 14 years ago, we decided to care about global missions and take on as many global missionaries as we could, uh, foreign missionaries as we could. But with a caveat that they would be people we knew, not just organizations that we sent money to, because I had been a missionary before, and I knew what organizations do with money. The United Way proudly broadcasts that they only use 72% of all money taken in in administrative costs. Do you understand what that means? 72 cents out of every dollar goes to pay people salaries so they can keep having commercials and keep running offices. That means only 28 cents out of a dollar actually goes to help people. And they are one of the lowest administrative costs of any nonprofit group in the world. Uh, Several years ago, the Florida Boys Club uh, almost got shut down because they found out that they were running at a 90% or higher admin cost and that they were paying directors two and three hundred thousand dollars a year uh, to run boys clubs in Florida and that's I'm not saying bad boys club is great and I thank God for the boys club in Florida but a lot of these organizations exist to pay directors big salaries and so what we decided we would do we didn't want to do that we want 70 80 90 cents out of every dollar going to somebody who lives in America that's not doing the work just to try to get a few pennies out to the people, but that we would connect with friends. And I know people, each of these people I know, they're friends of our church, they come, they talk to us, they bring their pictures, they come, they share, they fellowship, pray with us and tell us their stories. And they give us these newsletters, and I want you to pick up one, two, pick up all eight, however many we've got back there, um, and start reading them. There's prayer requests in there. They're counting on us. And here's the cool thing. We we might not be all that. I'm going to break everybody's bubble tonight. American Christians aren't really all that. Uh, These people that live in different countries that have to depend on God to eat and to stay alive, I mean, there are some phenomenal, these are some phenomenal men and women of God in these countries that are really struggling and counting on God a lot. And when they write these prayer requests down, they're really counting. And when they tell me stuff like, Pastor Scott, we, we covet your prayers more than your money. Uh, they really mean that. Now, most people saying that, they, they really want the check. But these are some fantastic men and women that we've partnered with around the world. And I would really like for us to not every month, uh, Dina tells me, not one uh, newsletter was taken all month. Please take one of these newsletters, put it in your Bible, take it to your prayer closet, uh, find one of these missionaries you can connect with a fantastic people. They're all around the world, leper colonies, orphanages, food and clothing ministries, Bible colleges, Bible institutes, people being taught around the world about Jesus, and I want you to help us to help them. But this morning we started talking about fasting, and I just read to you what Jesus said in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, about fasting. And let's look at it together real quick. Uh, In verse 16, he said, Moreover, when you fast. And as I told you this morning, he didn't say if you fast. He said when you fast. Please get this in your mind. Fasting is expected. 
Fasting is a part of real Christianity. God expects his children to fast. Now, I'm not going to raise my hand, or I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand and see how many people fast on a regular basis, because honestly, most churches don't teach that. Most churches don't teach their people to fast on a regular basis. Many Christians around the world fast at least one day a week. Um, there's, there's one missionary, I won't call his name because some of y'all like him and some of y'all don't like him, but he's been effective uh, for a really long time, fa- has fasted every other day for the last 30 years um, just to make sure that he's fully dependent on God. Now, you know we're not giving up Doritos every other day. We got some Fritos and some chips to eat. We, we got some nachos to eat. We got chicken wings. We, we got pizza. But we live in a country where we don't even eat because we're hungry. We eat because we're bored. We don't even eat because we're hungry. We eat as a social event to have something to do when we go out with our friends because we're scared we can't hold a conversation for an hour without eating. We, we don't even eat just to sustain life. We eat just because we enjoy the taste. And that's different in many, many parts of the world. They actually eat to live, whereas we live to eat. I think if there's any group of people that need to learn about fasting, it's American Christians. Because what fasting is designed to do is to sacrifice something, to take something away that your flesh desires, that you crave, so that you can give more of your time to God. And I'm going to tell you all month long as we go through this 21 days of fasting that if all you do is cut something out, let's say you decide to cut out red meat, let's say you decide to cut out sweets, let's say you decide to fast lunch one day a week, you can fast uh, a half meal one day every other week, in any way you want to do it. Whatever you choose to sacrifice, it can be as little as I'm going to give up orange juice in the morning. But if you love orange juice, that's a sacrifice. If you don't drink orange juice, you didn't give up anything. Are you following me? But it's anything that you give up can be a fast, anything that feeds your flesh. Watching TV feeds our flesh. You can give that up. Being on the Internet, playing games, whatever it is, you can give that up. But it has to be a sacrifice. But let's say you give up red meat. For 21 days and you love red meat but you give up red meat for 21 days but you don't pray more you don't study more you don't think about God more you, you don't meditate on scripture more then you're not fasting you're dieting and I want to make sure that we're not dieting on this fast that we're actually fasting the difference is if you give up something for the fast and you don't increase your spirituality it's not really a fast Jesus said when you fast so it's expected and then he goes on to give some instruction. He said, don't be like the hypocrites. Well, there's good news for us because we know, I've told y'all for years, the number one reason people don't come to church that they give is because of all the hypocrites. Well, I don't want to go to that church. There's too many hypocrites. Well, there's hypocrites everywhere. The Bible says that we're all hypocrites at some level, but the good news for us is that's not just an American problem. That's not just a 21st century problem. That's not just a west side of Jacksonville problem. There have been hypocrites for all of time, and there have been hypocrites in the church for all of time, but that doesn't make the church bad. It's catchy. It's geechy. It's, it's, it's in vogue now to hate on the church. It's really popular now for people to sit at home and say, I don't have to go to church to, to love God. Well, that's true, but when people start telling you they don't have to go to church to be a Christian, now that's not true. Because Christian means to be like Christ, and Jesus went to church every day. So you have to go to church to be like Christ, but they're hypocrites inside the church. God knows this. We know this. Jesus knows this. And he says, don't be like them. So hear this tonight. Don't let hypocrites keep you out. Don't let hypocrites steal your joy. Don't let hypocrites in the church, whether it's the pastor, the sound man, or the parking lot guy, steal anything of your spirituality. They are there, but you should not let them affect you. I see all the time people fall out of church. Churches shut down because some pastor did something wrong and everybody falls out. I remember when Jim Baker had his public failing. I remember when Jimmy Swaggart had his public fall. So many people said, well, that's it. I'm not going back to church anymore. Why? And I asked him, and I had one man tell me, well, if Jimmy Swaggart's not living it, nobody's living it. I'm thinking, that's not true. There's lots of people living it. And some of the greatest preachers in the world, we will never hear of. They're little old men preaching in cabins up in the mountains somewhere, out on some little farm in Mississippi that nobody's ever heard of. They're sweet little old ladies on their knees praying and really living this thing. Don't let the multitude of hypocrites that you've seen in your experience cause you to believe that nobody is living it because there are people living it. Hypocrites are there, but they're not the only things that are there because Jesus is saying don't be like them, and he's talking to a people a group of people that are for real, but don't be like them. 
the hypocrites fast. Now, that's really sad to know because most real Christians don't even fast, but we're going to have some hypocritical fasting going on during our 21 days. There are going to be some people coming in here that are just faking it, that are just doing it to be recognized and say, see me. Please understand that I'm just a human being. I'm in my struggle the same way you're in your struggle. I'm still trying to grow to be the person God wants me to be just like you are. You say, why do you say that, Pastor? Because so many people come into a church, and they want to be seen by the pastor. They want to be recognized by the pastor. People come up to me constantly and let me know, Pastor, I I can do this. I can do that. I can do the other thing. I used to do this in my former church. Anything you need me to do, please let me know. And I always do the same thing. I direct them to a ministry leader or to the church office, let the administrator know, and they almost never follow up. Why? Because they're doing it to be seen. They're doing, listen, I'm not that important. Let God see what you do. Don't worry about whether or not I see what you do. I'm just one human being. And don't ever let me have an impact on your spirituality. Don't let my greatness or lack thereof, don't let my spirituality or lack thereof cause you to decide whether or not you want to serve God. The Bible says every one of us has to live unto God or die unto God for ourselves. When you stand before God at judgment day, He's not going to hear, well, Deacon Keon, so, no, you don't have any speech on Deacon Keon when you get to heaven. He's not going to let you say, well, I didn't do that because there's no pastor you're going to be able to give account for. We all must give account for ourselves. So don't let the hypocrites mess you up. Don't try to come to church, and this is where the devil will mess you up. He'll get you try to notice on, on the fakes. He'll get you to try to notice people in praise and worship that you know ain't really living anything, and, and you're look, looking there watching them saying, I don't believe their worship is real. Well, guess what? You're supposed to be worshiping yourself at that point. What am I trying to tell you? Let's get our eyes off everybody else and concentrate on us. Let's don't worry about the hypocrites because Jesus said don't be like them anyway. So we shouldn't be studying hypocrites. We shouldn't be looking for hypocrites. They're there. They're there from the pulpit to the parking lot. They're there. They're going to fall. They're going to get exposed. Everything that's done in dark is going to come to light. Every evil thing that they do is going to be brought forth. That's why the average pastor only stays 18 months in a church in America. 18 months. You know why he leaves? Because they find out his dirt. He comes in for 18 months. Comes in. Here's, here's what they told me in seminary. Every pastor, if he makes it, the three years in a church has the same experience. First year, Church loves him. It's a honeymoon phase. He can't do nothing wrong. Second year, church hates him. He can't do nothing right. Third year determines if he's going to leave or if the people in the pews are going to leave. But the reason why there's so much turnover in ministry is because there's so many people faking it from the pulpit. And that's why I love churches like Evangel Temple. Church like Evangel Temple, where Pastor Wiggins has stood faithful for so long. New, new Life, where pa- uh, Bishop Zink has stood so long. First Baptist downtown, where Dr. Lindsay and then Dr. Lindsay Jr. stood for so long. Places where you can look and say, if, if that man was faking it, they'd have run him off. It's, you, you get somebody stay 10, 20, 30 years, their dirt's already been uncovered and realized it wasn't that bad. There are people that are doing this for real, but we can't be studying the hypocrites. We, we can't be doing what they do. And here's what they do during a fast. They get involved, but they try to make it look on the outside like they're doing more than they're really doing. They, they're, they're the ones that are going to be coming in talking about how bad their head hurts. They're, all our heads are going to hurt if we give up caffeine. Trust me on this. I drink about three, two, three liters of Dr. Pepper every day. Now, God has not thankfully told me to fast Dr. Pepper yet. If he does, I will do it. But I can tell you this, by day two, don't talk to me. I'm going to tell you now because I can't tell you then because I, I don't want you to know uh, what I'm fasting. Um, and I, I don't want to be making a show out of it. My head will be ready to explode because I come off caffeine every year as a regular part of my own discipline to make sure that I'm in control of me and that caffeine is not in control of me. But don't make it outward. Say not outward. Don't make it outward. This thing is to be inward. What God wants from us is inward. Sure, it's great to come to church, but if you just come to church and and that's it, you check your box and say, I came to church, you haven't really done what God wants you to do. You come to church and praise God, worship God, listen to the teaching and get something from it. Come to church and fellowship, smile, encourage somebody. It's not just the outside, it's the inside that counts. And we don't want to be like the hypocrites doing this thing on the outside. He went on to say they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to fast. They just walk around, oh. 
acting like it's all so horrible. So somebody will ask them, man, you're looking rough. You, you look like you haven't slept. You, you look like you're, you don't feel good. So they can tell their story. Well, because I love God so much, because God is so important in my life, because I'm so valuable to my church, I'm on this 21-day fast because our church is more special than your church, and we do things like that. And they go into their religious speech. Jesus says, don't, don't do that. And look what he says in the last sentence. He said, assuredly, comma, when you read any literature, especially the Bible, pay attention to the punctuation. When you see a comma, that's cause for pause. Assuredly, Jesus is for real, though. This is going to happen. This, I promise you, they have their reward. All right, now here's what I want you to get out of that. Number one, God's promises are always true. God's promises always work. God always does what he says he will do. And listen to me, good. Everybody who fasts gets a reward. Everybody. Hypocrites and real Christians. People who do it wrong and people who do it right. Why? Because God rewards fasting. Always. God rewards fasting always, whether you do it right or whether you do it wrong. Here's the difference. If you do it wrong, you get your reward from the people who think you're so great. If you do it right, you get your reward from God. It's like some people, I've had people tell me, Pastor, please don't say anything about me. Please don't talk about my ministry. Please don't talk about what's going on uh, because I don't want anybody to give me the credit because I want all my reward in heaven. We ought to have a mindset like that because the Bible says you either get rewarded for what you do for God in this life or in the next life, and I want to have some reward in heaven. And hopefully you understand uh, that the old mindset, I've had people say, oh, she's going to have lots of crowns in heaven. Oh, man, her neck's going to be heavy. She's going to have so many crowns in heaven. Listen, the only good thing about getting reward in heaven is not that you get to wear them because you will never wear them. The Bible says that when we get judged by God and we get rewards, we get to lay them at his feet as a show of our love to him. And I want to have something to give to Christ when I stand before him in heaven. I don't want my rewards on this earth. Not all of them. I do want, and you do too. We do want some. We want our bills paid. We, we want enough money to put gas in the truck. We, we want to be able to get by. But what I want you to see is that God rewards fasting. Now, I don't get it all. I, don't understand. I told you all this morning, I only understand this much of it anyway. And the longer I study, the more I realize I don't know. There's so much to God that is beyond us. He said of himself, his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And many of them are past finding out. I wonder why God said a tithe. Tithe means tenth. Why did God say a tenth? God does not need my money. God does not need 10% of my check at all. But he said for me and you and everybody that lives to take a tenth of everything that comes into your possession and give it to the church. Well, he doesn't need it. Why does he do it that way? I don't know. Why didn't he say an 11th? Why didn't he say a ninth? Well, maybe he knew we were all bad at math and he figured a tenth was easier to figure out. I don't know. But he came up with his own deal. It's his world. He makes the rules. Why does he let us into heaven by believing that his son died for us and rose from the dead? Why not make us do something instead of punishing his son? I don't know. It's his heaven. He makes the rules. Why does he say the tithe is holy to him? I don't know. But that's what he says. Why does he say he rewards fasting? I don't know. Now, on the fasting part, I kind of got an idea. Because when somebody deprives their self of something that they want to give you more of what you want. That's recognizable. It, it, it's like um, if you go to a family meal. You know if somebody took the time to make them good croissants and they had a whole bowl of them and everybody hogged them down. You know you got to get at least three croissants at a Christmas or a Thanksgiving meal and, or biscuit and, and there's one left. You know who the good people are. They're the people that don't grab that last biscuit, right? They leave that last biscuit. Why? They want it. They want it as bad as they wanted the first one. Why don't they take it? Because they love you. Because they're willing to let somebody else have it. And this is what fasting is about. It's letting somebody else have it. It's, letting, it's, it's taking something away from you so you can give more to God. Now, if God tells you to fast red meat, you don't throw red meat up in heaven and tell God he wants some. I heard one joke. One guy said this. This is how I decide what my offering's going to be. I take all my money at the end of the week. I throw it up into the sky. If God wants it, whatever he wants, he keeps. What falls down is mine. Now, obviously, that's not how God wants us to give. 
God doesn't want you throwing red meat up to heaven. He's not asking you to give the red meat. What he's asking you to do is give up something that you crave so you can read more Bible. See, if you just give up breakfast one day a week, but you don't spend that time you would have spent eating breakfast in prayer or Bible study, you're missing the point. If you don't give up TV, now you might not even give up TV. Listen, you might say, I'm going to give up TV from 7 to 8. Well, I've seen people do that. You might give up TV for 30 minutes. You might give up video games for an hour, you, whatever it is. But that time, that, that space, that whatever you give up, you need to pray during that time. You need to study during that time. You need to think about God during that time. Why? Because you are going to be rewarded. You are going to be rewarded if you fast. Look at what Jesus said in verse 17. But you, but you, comma. Here's a contrast. You got the hypocrites, then you got you. We're, hopefully, we're the you. I want to be in the you group. I don't want to be in a hypocrite group. I want to be in the you group. I want to be in the group that's doing it right. When we fast, we got to anoint our head and wash our face. We got to do the same stuff we do every day. We got to go about life as usual. Look at verse 18. So that you do not appear to men to be fasting. He's still writing the same thing. Do you want people to see your works or do you want God to see? Do you want people to reward you for being so awesome or do you want God to reward you for obeying him? Don't do it. Don't appear to be fasting to people. But here's the transition. Here's the difference. Here's the other group. To your father who is in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. The one group, the hypocrites, the ones that do it wrong, they get their reward on earth. The other group, the you group, the group that Jesus is talking to about doing it right, doing it from the heart, God sees us in secret and he rewards us openly. And here's what I want to see as a result. Just like we saw in the book of Joel, when they fasted, they were able to say, God has done great things. At the end of their fast, God came through like a flood and did miraculous things. I want something great to happen to people as a result of this 21-day fast that they can be able to say, God has done great things. Do you realize even if you only get to come twice, three times, four times during the 21 days and, and you don't, can't think of anything um, external that happened great, one thing happened great. God did great things. He got you up here on your knees four times in a month. I promise you God's going to do great things because God cannot lie, and he promises that he would reward us not privately but openly. I want God to reward you so much in 2016 that you have to be able to give credit to somebody. I want your reward to be so big that you've got to give credit to somebody. I want people to see it and somebody ask you, what is going on with you? You just seem happier. You just seem more at peace. You just, you just, you, 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 a new car, a new house. You paid off all your credit. What, what is going on? And you got to give the credit. You either got to say, because I'm awesome. Just always have been. Got to go. That's just me. You know, I, just smarter than you. You got to give credit. Or so you can say, it's just all God. It's just all God. God is so good that he's, he's just been blessing me. And, and I can't take the credit from it. Uh, I, I just got to give the credit to God. When your reward is so big that people make you give the credit, you're going to be living on a different level. When your reward is so open and so obvious that you're going to have to give somebody the credit for good things that are happening, you're going to be living life on a whole different level because I believe that we are the you group. I believe we are the group that would give the credit to God. I believe we're the group of people that God is going to do great things for, and we're going to have to give the credit, and we're going to choose to give the credit to God. And our Father who sees us, everybody's not going to know. And I don't spend time watching. Listen, I don't look at the giving. I don't know who gives what. That's not my job. My job is to teach, cast vision, oversee this church. I don't look at who, who, who tithes and who does. I couldn't tell you who the tithers in this church are and who the non-tithers in this church are. The, that, the counting people could. Get with them. No, don't get with them. That's not your business. But they know. Um, I've never worked in the finance ministry at this church. I'm busy doing other things. But we are going to come in here. Everybody's not going to know. I'm not going to look around and try to see who's here 21 nights in a row. If something comes up in my life, I might not be here. I've already told y'all. It's not possible for everyone to be here every time the doors are open. We're not going to be taking attendance. We don't take attendance at church. We don't write down who's here. And guess what? When people stop coming, they don't get a call. And that offends some folk. And I've had people say, I went to that church for five years. I left, and, and, and that pastor never called me to beg me to come. It ain't my job to beg nobody to come back. Leave mad and then, get, and then, and then wonder why I didn't call you. Oh, I didn't want to hear it. 
I got other things to do. I got enough on my plate. I can't be, well, you're supposed to leave the 99 and go after the one. They're not sheep anyway. They're goats. You don't leave the sheep to go looking for goats. That's a different message altogether. Let me keep going. I know fasting gets rewarded, and God is going to reward us. Listen, your private discipline will bring open rewards. Your private discipline will bring open rewards. It's not what you let people see you do. It's what nobody sees you do. All the great minds of our time have said the same thing, that uh, character is what happens when nobody's looking. Integrity is what, 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 what you do when nobody sees you but God. It's the private things. If you want to serve God, honor God, and be who God wants you to be, you've got to start getting real with God when nobody's watching. Don't just try to be seen. You've got to do the right thing when nobody sees it but you. You've got to do the right thing because that's the private you. And God sees the private you, and when the private you does the right thing, God rewards you openly. Private discipline brings open rewards. The key to success, I've told this to everybody that's ever worked in ministry at our church, the key to success in ministry, the key to success in public ministry is to having a successful private devotion. You want to come, you want to come work at the community center, you want to work with the kids, you want to work in the nursery, you want to work with the youth, you want to work in outreach, you want to work in administration, you want to get involved in prayer. If you take on those responsibilities, but you don't have a private devotion time, you are going to fail horribly. We ordained a couple of new deacon families this past year as deacons in the church, families that I believe in, families that I love, families that I know God has called to this service. But if they take on that added responsibility and they don't study and pray on their own, they will not be successful either. This is why pastors fail all the time. I told you all that's why they shift places every 18 months because they, they let the whole church down in the first year they were there. They go off to a new church. Nobody knows how bad they are, and they ride that for 18 months. Listen, that's not what we're doing here. I made a promise when we started this church with 16 people 14 years ago that I would not leave this church for a higher church. And I've had other churches offer me more money and bigger churches and easier churches to pastor and that's not what we're about here. Uh, you, this church isn't going to change pastors every two years, every 14, 18 months. We're going to walk this thing through together for real. But I want you to have a real private devotion. I believe the only reason this church um, is still being led by me, because I'm, I have lots of issues. I've never hid that. I've told you all I'm a work in progress just like you are. I believe the only reason God has still graced me to be the pastor of this church is because I have not given up on my private devotion time with him. And I believe that if you want to serve him, you need to be true to your private devotion. Because if you try to serve God without having a real walk with God, <laughs> it's going to blow up in your face. It's going to be very difficult. Private discipline will bring open rewards. So we're going to fast from the 10th to the 31st. People have asked me, Pastor, what is fasting? I'm going to give you a dictionary definition. Refraining from food for a spiritual purpose. That's a quality definition for the broad term of fasting, refraining from food for a spiritual purpose. It's not dieting. I told you that. It's denying yourself something you crave so you can give more of you to God. God never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Old Testament sign of the covenant was circumcision. I don't know how they did it with women. I guess they came in with the men. Well, they didn't even get to go to church with the men back then. They were just grafting in as a family. But the Old Testament sign of being in relationship with God was circumcision. And that's when David said, I'd rather be a gatekeeper in the house of the Lord than, than to dwell in mansions. Uh, he, people, I've heard people say, oh, me too. I'd rather. No, you wouldn't. you got to understand, some of y'all been around long enough, you know what the gatekeeper was. That was the dude that had to stand, well, you know, Brother David would show up to church, and he's like, I don't know you. I don't know if you're with God. Let's pull that robe up, and let's see. I don't want that job. I, I don't want to be the circumcision checker, but that was the sign of covenant, and they did not let uncircumcised people come into their meetings, and they still don't. I was, I was in uh, South, uh, South California years ago, and I was out there at a conference, and I saw a bunch of these Jewish people, I mean, with the hats on and the long beards and the twists, and, and they were carrying big, giant Bibles, and I rolled down the window off the rented Cadillac I was in, and I'm like, uh, you look like you're walking to church. And he said that he was. 
And I said, well, where is it I'd love to go? He said, no, there are churches for people like you everywhere, but you can't come to mine. Huh. He's like, I wasn't black. I'd have had Jesse and Sharpton down there. Like you? People like you? Who are you calling people like you? And they meant that. I'm a Gentile. They don't let uncertain. Listen, I wanted to tell him, bruh, Mercy Hospital, San Diego, California. I was circumcised right by the naval doctor. But they didn't care. They didn't let uncircumcised people in. Why? Because they only wanted people in relationship with God. Well, circumcision was the sign of relationship with God, and God doesn't change. So circumcision is still the sign of relationship with God. Not in our flesh, though. The Bible says it's, not, it's no longer the circumcision of the flesh made with the cutting of the skin by human hands, but it's the circumcision of the heart made with the cutting of the heart by the Holy Ghost. When the Spirit of God comes in and begins to cut away things, what is circumcision? It's the cutting away of unnecessary flesh. It's flesh you don't need that the doctor cuts off of a baby boy. Well, spiritually, still in 2016, circumcision is still the sign of God's covenant. It's spiritual. It's the cutting away of fleshly things that we don't need. Do you re- They say that kids, I don't know how they do it, but I saw a statistic said that the average kid watches television over seven, days a, seven hours a day, seven days a week. I don't know how that exists. My kids don't get home from school till 4 o'clock. That means from 4 to 11 they're watching TV the whole time. I don't know how that happens. I guess they double up on Saturday, right? They get up, you know, kids get up at 7 o'clock, watch cartoons all day long. But listen, we don't need seven hours of TV every day. That needs to be cut out. We don't need two desserts after every meal. That needs to be, there's certain things we need to cut out in our life, and fasting is going to kickstart part of this process. Different types of fasting in the Bible. There's total fast, there's partial fast, there's daily fast. I told you, you can fast one breakfast a week. But if you don't eat breakfast, it's not a fast because a fast has to be a sacrifice, something that costs you. I want you to pray this week and let God show you what he wants you to fast. If you're new, if you're new to following God, if you're new to the ways of God, or maybe you've been serving God for a long time, but you really haven't gotten to the place where you're comfortable hearing from God, knowing what it is God wants you to do, let me tell you this. If you will spend the next few days praying repeatedly, Asking God, please, sir, tell me what you want me to fast. God, let me know. What can I give up for three weeks for you? You are not going to hear God come down and say, Lauren Vereen, fast television. It doesn't, it doesn't, God doesn't work that. That wouldn't require faith. People that tell you they hear God talk to them like that all the time, uh, either they're, they're imagining that, or God knows that their faith is so weak that they can't live by faith. They have to live by what they hear. It's, it doesn't work that way most of the time. Here's how it works most of the time. As you continue to have it on your heart and on your mind, God will drop thoughts in your mind. And here's where you learn to discern, to differentiate as you grow in Christ. You learn what the thoughts in your mind are versus what the thoughts in your spirit are. You learn, well, is that just something that you're thinking that's a good thought, or is that something you're feeling that's a God thought? And this is what I want you to get. I want you to get direction from God on what you should fast. Now, listen, if it comes up to Sunday and you don't know what to fast, just pick something. Because what I say about fasting, all fasting is rewarded. But different types of fast. People people ask what to fast, why to fast. I don't know what you should fast, but if you pray and ask God, I believe God will give you some ideas. And if God begins to give you ideas, just ask him. Talk to him if you think, well, maybe TV, maybe the radio, uh, maybe staying up late, um, maybe social media. If you get a couple ideas in your head, well, then start asking God, God, which one of these would you most want me to give up? See, now you're talking to God like you believe he hears you, and maybe you'll get a, a, a good idea. Maybe God will show you, lead you, guide you. That's how God leads us. He leads us by faith. And if you pick something, it has to be a sacrifice. It can't be something that's easy. It has to be something that is going to cost you. Don't fast something easy. Now I want to give you nine reasons why you should fast. Because I don't want you to fast just because I say fast. I do want you to fast because Jesus said when you fast. But I want to give you nine reasons out of the Bible 
specific reasons that people of God have fasted for at, at different times. Did you put that all on one slide, Keon? On, on one by one? All right, let's, let's put the first one up there. Here's some reasons why people are fasting in the Bible. If you're in need of healing or a miracle, you need to be fasting on a regular basis anyway. God has responded biblically to people in need of healing or any type of a miracle when his people would fast. So that ought to be, here's, here's why I'm giving you these reasons. I want you to pick a reason why you're going to fast. Because you just can't fast randomly. Fasting is like holiness. It can't be dictated because people won't live up to dictation. It has to come from the heart. It has to mean something to you. You have to be able to connect to this thing. First, if you need a miracle or if you need healing in your body. Number two, do you need the tender touch of God in your life? If you are growing cold on God, if you don't feel close to God, you need to fast for God to touch your life. Number three, if there's a dream inside you that only God can make possible. If God is giving you a desire, I believe God put uh, our church and the Gandhi family together and many other families together. I just use them as an example. Please don't be like hypocrites. I've had people come up and say, I'm leaving your church because you always point out your favorites, but you never tell anybody what I do. Uh, you shouldn't want to be bragged on that way. But James has been working in this community for a long time. He wanted a church in his community that would allow him to do the things that he wanted to do in his heart. And that's what we want to do. That's what I want to do as a senior pastor. I want to identify the gifts in the body and give them a platform to do ministry. And he had a dream in his heart. He's been working with, with kids. He's been working against gangs. He's been working against drugs in this area for a long time. He had this dream in his heart that never died, and now God brought a church into his neighborhood where he can work with and where he can have a building to bring a bunch of kids up here. I want you to believe God for a dream in your heart. If you've got something that you want to do, maybe it's not even ministry. Maybe it's just a dream in your heart. Maybe you just want to go on a cruise to Alaska. Maybe you just want to go see Grandmama one more time before she passes. Maybe you just you want to go to school and get an education. Maybe you want to travel to your family's country of origin. I don't know what your dream is, but if it's something that you can't do on your own, but you need God to step in and make it happen, that's a good reason to fast. Number four, if you're in need of a fresh encounter with God. If you know that you love God, but that you feel yourself starting to slip a little, you, you need to fast. You need to fast. It, 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 it's as simple as modern-day colloquialism. You need to check yourself before you wreck yourself. You need, you need to get it together before you get undone. If, if you need a fresh encounter with God, this fasting is here for you. Number five, if you need a deeper, more intimate, and powerful relationship with the Lord. Maybe you know you're not slipping. Maybe you know you're not falling back, but you just really believe you want to go to a next level. You want more. You're already experiencing a lot, but you want a deeper, more intimate, powerful relationship with the Lord. God has responded to fasting biblically for that reason. Number six, if you're ready to have a heightened sensitivity to the desires of God. There are people that used to have convictions that they no longer hold to. I've had people tell me, yeah, well, Pastor, when I first got saved, uh, I gave up smoking and drinking. But now that I've grown in the Lord and realized it's all grace and it's not works, I took back to smoking and drinking. I'm like, no, you gave up on convictions God gave you. I've had people say, Pastor, when I first got saved, I quit, I quit going to R-rated movies and quit watching porno. But since I've realized God's grace and that he loves me no matter what I do, I just do me. No, you've given up on your convictions. And if, if you are ready to be sensitive to God's desires again, if you're ready. See, we live in a society that is desensitized. We live in a society that is no longer sensitive to the pain and the pathos and the struggle and the immorality in the country. God has always responded to this in a fast. Number seven, do you need to break away from bondages that have been holding you hostage? I told you that God put in my spirit that 2016 for people connected to this ministry would be a year of freedom, a year where you truly can walk free from things that have held you. And I believe it's going to start in the 21-day fast where people are going to be able to break bondages. Listen, if you could stop doing what you want to stop doing, you would have already done it. If you could stop the, the aberrant behavior, if you could stop the negative behavior, if you could stop the negative addiction, if you could take and stop doing all the things that you want to stop, you would have already done it. You need help. I need help. We need God to help us do this. And fasting is a way that God has biblically responded to people so that they can break bondages that have been holding them back from being all that God wants them to be. Number eight, if there's a friend or a loved one that needs salvation. 
if you know somebody that you know is not saved, that you want to see come to God, God has responded by fasting. God has responded to send people. I, I love what the scripture says. Jesus said, when you want God to reach somebody, pray that the Lord of the harvest would send laborers into the field. If you've been saved for a long time, you've probably realized it's not easy to reach those closest to you. It's not easy to reach your own family for Christ sometimes. Why? Because they're too, too focused on what they know about you or what they think they know about you. They know your past. They know your mistakes. They know your struggle. But they probably don't know how much you love God and how much you would like to see them get saved. So what can we do? We can fast. God has responded to saving loved ones through fasting biblically. Number nine, if you desire to know God's will for your life. Probably the number one question I've gotten in the last 30 years of doing ministry is, Pastor, how can I know what God wants me to do? Well, you got to get along with God. you got to spend time with God. And fasting is a great way for you to determine what God's will for your life is. Now, we're fasting specifically as a church, number three, four, five, seven, and eight. That's a lot. All right. Number three. Uh, throw number three back up there for me, Keon. We're fasting number three because there's a dream inside me that only God can make possible. God gave me a dream when we started this church that we would be a multiracial, multigenerational, Bible-believing church, that we would impact our community and that we would be a bright light shining for Christ. There's no, we don't do marketing. We're not on the radio. We don't do billboards. We, we, we haven't even gone out and, and, and covered this community with flyers. Why? Because I believe that we have got to let God bring the growth. I've never heard of a conference on church, church growth that included prayer and fasting. But I see in the Bible, in the book of Acts, how they grew the church. They prayed and they fasted. And I want to see this church not get bigger. That's not the goal. To get healthy and have a great impact. I want to see, I would love to see us, uh, this probably freak, uh, the Gandhi family. I'd love to see God give us uh, a huge facility where we could magnify our after-school program times 100. Instead of having 30 kids, Amy looked at him like, are you crazy right now? Are you nuts? We're up here working 100 hours a week for free, and you said amen to that? I, listen, we can only minister to, what, 30, 40 kids. I mean, the building's only so big. We can get 30, 40 kids in there. We don't have enough volunteers to work with the kids we got coming now. But I got, that's a huge bunch. Jesus only had 12. When Jesus died, it was only 220 people still believing in him. So, so don't think it's about numbers. It's not about numbers. It's about impact. Now, these 30, 40 kids coming, we're making an impact on their life. But I've got a bigger dream for that. I, you know, they, they lie in government. I don't trust politicians. You, you want to know what politicians are, you could ask my 11-year-old Seth. He, he loves to tell people what a politician is. I'll tell you all at one time so you don't have to rush him after church. Polly means many. And tick is a blood-sucking parasite that gives viruses to those it impacts. Uh, many blood-sucking uh, organisms, that, that's what a politician is. And I don't trust politicians. They come up with these programs, no child left behind. Why do we have children in our neighborhood that can't read? How, how, how are they going? Because they leave them behind. How, how are these teachers going to draw salaries and, and they keep promoting children out of their class and, and they know that they can't read? There's, there's breakage in the system. I remember, I don't know how many big-time sports fans, I know Deacon Jim, you remember Dexter Manley for the Washington Redskins. He came out as a grown man having been through high school, college, and to the NFL as totally illiterate. Couldn't read stop on a stop sign. Making big money playing in the NFL for the Washington Redskins. Came out, I don't know why, I don't remember if it was God that prompted him, whatever it was, but this grown man came out and said, nobody ever taught me how to read. But he got through all 12 grades, he got through college, and got to the NFL illiterate. The system is broken. It's been broken for a long time. And I got a dream inside me that only God can make happen. I, 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 I've got a dream. I know some of y'all don't like Dr. King. I don't, I don't need to hear your negativity about that. I, I don't care what you think bad about him. I, people, I have people come up to me all the time and say, oh, you like Dr. King? And I say, yeah. And they say, well, do you know he smoked? I've been to the Lorraine Hotel. Do you realize at the Lorraine Motel that they've still got his room, the, the room that he stayed in last? He's still got the ashtray filled with cigarette butts laying beside the bed. I've been to the balcony where he got shot. I don't need your negativity about it, but when he said that he had a dream, 
that one day this nation would rise up and meet its creed, that, that we would be more concerned about the content of a man's character than the color of his skin, that one day little, little white boys and, and little black boys, we've seen some of that happen here in our church. My kids have grown up under that because my kids were birthed into this church. This church is one month older than my 14-year-old, and my kids have grown up seeing a world where white boys and black boys, black girls and white girls and Hispanic girls all play together and all come to the same church. But I want to tell you something. Even 14 years later, after we started this church, this community is not comfortable with it. This, this, this nation we live in is not comfortable with it. Whether, whether you want to quote Dr. King saying it in the 60s or Billy Graham saying it in the 70s, they both said the same thing. The most segregated hour in America is still 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. Why? Because white people want to go to church with white people and black people want to go to church with black people. And I understand some of it is cultural, some of it is music. Some, I mean, but the reality, most of it is hate. Most of it is exclusion. Most of it is bigotry. Most of it is racism. And I want to see this dream come to life in my lifetime. Listen, I'm, I'm not as young as I used to be. I, I, I started this church when I was in my 30s. I, I, I had a rough 10-year span in my 40s, and now I'm in my 50s. I want to see God bring this dream to pass. We're fasting for number three, but we're also fasting for number four because I want a fresh encounter with God. I don't want to live off last year's anointing. I want God to anoint me to be a good pastor. I want God to touch my life so that the people that count on me to have something to say to them when they show up will hear something that can encourage them. I want a fresh encounter with God. I want the people in our church to have a fresh encounter with God. It's awesome to say what God did for you 10 years ago, but I want us to have something going on right now. We're fasting for that as well as number five. We desire a more intimate, a deeper, powerful relationship with the Lord. Good enough not good enough for me. I don't want to just get by. I'm not one of those people that would say, as long as I get to heaven by the skin of my teeth. Listen, A, skin, teeth don't have skin, and that's a bad concept. I don't want to get to heaven barely by the skin of my teeth. I want to get to heaven having lived a deep, intimate, and powerful relationship with God on this earth. Me and my sister have been talking about it for a long time. We both came into Christ uh, around the same time in the early 80s, and we've been talking about this for uh, a long time about having this close relationship with God, about having this deep relationship with God, about not it not being enough just to skate by. I wonder how close you want to be with God. The thing that we've been talking about for a long time is this. This is the only time in life we have to live by faith. Let's say all of us are saved. That would be awesome. We're probably not because the Bible says that, you know, three out of every four people going to church is not going to heaven. That's sad but true. Um, but let's just say we're all saved in here. This is the only time as a Christian that you are going to get to live by faith. Because when you get to heaven, faith's going to turn into sight. You're not going to get to serve God in heaven by faith. Let's take the millennial kingdom. The Bible talks about a thousand-year reign where Jesus is going to come back and set up a thousand years where he's going to rule the whole earth, and he's going to let us be governors and kings and priests and mayors and, and rulers in a thousand years of peace and prosperity. We're not going to be serving him by faith then. And the Bible says that faith pleases God. This is our time to live by faith. We, if we're going to ever live by faith, we've got to do it now. You can't live by faith in heaven. And faith pleases God. And I don't want some weak, mamby-pamby, soft relationship with God. I want a real, deep, intimate, powerful relationship with God. Not only that, we're fasting for number seven because we need to be able to break away from bondages that have been holding us hostage. You say, well, what are they? Well, you got yours, I got mine. Now, thankfully, mine over the years have become more internal and less external. See, here's the thing. And this is what churches focus on, and it's always wrong. Smoking, drinking, cussing, whoring around. That's the easy stuff to quit. Go ahead and quit that. If you haven't quit that yet, and you're thinking, I don't know how easy that is. I'm still struggling with it. Okay, but when you get past that and you realize now you've got to start changing attitudes, well, now that's harder. Am I right, anybody? Uh, when you get, when you got to start changing concepts, when you got to get a new paradigm, when you got to start looking at people different, when you, when you got to start, when you got to start forgiving everybody, 
These inside things, now those are the heartbreakers where, where you got to let people cut you off in traffic and almost wreck you and then shoot you to bird and act like you did it wrong. And you got to, listen, though, that's when it really gets rubber meets the road. Uh, and, and so I don't know where your stuff is. Listen, I'm, I'm going to tell you first up right now, I cannot go to the fair anymore because I am unable to break that stronghold in my life. So instead of breaking it, I did away with it. What was what, the stronghold? Every, I love the Jacksonville Fair. I don't ride those rides because they're put together by drunks and drug addicts who are fleeing the law. They're, them carnies are a bunch of, bunch of illegals, uh, you know, got felonies on them, so they're traveling with the carnival. They, they, they screw those bolts together here, let it ride in Jacksonville for 10 days, and then they go to Ocala and do it all again. They were drunk when they put it together here. They're drunk putting it together. I don't ride that stuff, okay? That's not, not what I like about the fair. I love the food. Man, I love, I love the smell of the, give me a sausage, just let me smell sausage dog at the fair. I feel good already. Let me smell funnel cake at the fair. I feel good, but I love the fair. Can't go. Why can't I go? See, I, I joke around ab- about being uh, the little preacher on the west side of Jacksonville. Um, at, at, uh, the army got me at 5'10". I'm really 5'9 and a half, but it's funny. Every 5'11 man in this church uh, th- thinks he's, uh, they, every man claiming five foot eleven in this church thinks he's five foot eleven until he stands next to me and realizes that he's five eight. That's a different story for a different time. But at at at, at two hundred and ten pounds, if you bump into me, you're gonna know you've been bumped into. And every time I go to the fair, I have some little sawed off redneck, little flannel shirt rolled up dude, long johns under, tobacco in his mouth, bump into me, and it do me like what? Come on, man. Don't tug on that. Don't, you, don't tug on Superman's cape right now. I'm going to knock you out. I will choke you. I was raised on the west side of Jacksonville. I was unsaved growing up. I'm not the one. Trust me. And I, do, I used to pray, God, my sister can tell you. If I, everywhere, somebody wants to start something. And my sister seen me come across bars at, at six people at a time. But it's just everywhere I go, people want to pull on that rage button. So I just had to separate myself from some stuff. I, I can't go smell sausage at the fair. I can't go smell funnel cake at the fair. But enjoy it for me. And if one of them fools bump into you, bust him with that cane for me one good time. Amen. I don't know what your struggle is, but I don't want to have to avoid everything in life. I'm still dealing with trying to you know, keep road rage under control. I stay off Blanding. I don't go down Blanding in December. I can't deal with these people. Cut me off and then yell at me like I did something. That gets to me. That affects my sense of righteousness. That affects my, that affects my sense of justice as a prophet in God's church. And so I just got to avoid some stuff. But more than avoiding it, I would love God to work it out of me. I don't know what you need broken off you. Maybe you're still dealing with drugs, alcohol. Maybe you're still dealing with surface things that, thankfully, God has taken out of me. But I, I want some of the inside things that need work in my life worked on. So we're going to be fasting for number seven. Not only that, but the last one, number eight. I got people I know that are unsaved, and I want God to save them. If you know anybody that's not saved, and you're not concerned for them, then you're not rightly understanding eternity. The greatest evangelistic pastor I've ever known is Dr. Harold Hudson, former pastor of the Westside Baptist Church, 7775 Herlong Road, right here on the west side of Jacksonville. Dr. Hudson, they called him hollering Harold. And I didn't agree with all his theology, but I can tell you this. He was the prayingest, holiest, soul-winningest preacher I've ever sat under. And he told us as a church one time, I mean, this dude preached every service. Wednesday night, he preached the invitation so hard on Wednesday night Bible study, deacons would come down the aisle to get saved just so we could go home. I mean, he wasn't turning off the invitation until somebody came down the aisle. Uh, but he told us what happened in his life that made him that way. His sister was unsaved. And he said he doesn't know, understand the theology behind it, and he doesn't know what really went on, but he was at her bedside when she died, lost, apart from God. And he said in her last breaths, she was screaming, help me, help me, Harold, they're dragging me down, Harold, it's hot, it's hot, help me, Harold, 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 help me, help me. And that's how she died. 
And he made a decision then that he would be involved in leading people to Christ because he understood hell is hot and eternity lasts forever. And if you depart from this life without Christ, there is no second chance. Not for Brother Harold's sister and not for your loved one. If we don't reach them now, if we let people slip out into eternity without Christ, they will be in eternal torment with no reprieve. And if you are breathing, if you have a pulse, you know somebody that's unsaved. Somebody in your family's not saved. It, hopefully not in your house. Hopefully everyone in your house is saved, but a cousin, uncle, niece, nephew. God has responded to this, and we're going we're gonna to be praying specifically every night during this time of fasting for God to save souls. We got we to gotta pray specific targeted prayers uh, to match these five things that I'm, I'm fasting for and believing God for. I'll be praying every night off this piece of paper in front of me to coincide with these things, to coincide with the things that we're praying for, to coincide with the things that we're specifically fasting for. Number going to be praying to match up number three. Number three is the dream that only God can make possible. I'm going to be praying every night, God, please give us favor in this community. Please give us favor in this community. It takes favor with God and man to impact a community. And we're going to need to pray as a church that God would give us favor so we can see number three happen. To see number four happen, which is a fresh encounter with God, I'm going to pray every night, God, please give us a greater revelation of you through a fresh encounter with you. To reach number five, which is a deeper, more intimate, powerful relationship with the Lord. The third thing I'm going to be praying every night is, God, please strengthen our relationship with you. Please strengthen my relationship with you. To reach number seven, which is breaking bondages, we're going to be praying specifically. I'm going to pray off this sheet every night. God, please break the habits that have held us back from reaching our destiny. You need some specific prayers to get a specific response. And the fifth thing that I'm fasting for is number eight, loved ones and friends that need salvation. I'm going to be praying every night, God, please let us see an increase in salvation decisions at Abundant Life. I don't give as many public invitations as I used to. The people that started with this church in 2001 can tell you it used to affect me uh, at such a level um, because when we started this church, every Sunday, People were coming and getting saved. It was incredible. We, we had such immense growth in the early days of this church. And if we'd have a Sunday and I'd give an invitation and nobody would come, I would go home and I would cry and pray the whole six hours between morning church and night church. I would just be devastated why no one got saved. Um, I still believe God wants to save people every time we come to church, but I'm not going to manipulate people down the aisle. I don't give as many public invitations as I used to. I think we'll probably give more in 2016 than I've been given. I understand you don't have to get saved in an invitation during church, but I do want us to see more people get saved. I thank God for the number of people that we've seen saved here. We've been in this church for a year now. And we've seen a lot of people get saved. We've, we've, we've seen a lot of people get baptized. We see a lot of people growing in their faith in church. But we're going to be fasting the 10th through the 31st. And these are the five things that I'm specifically fasting for, and these are five things that I'm specifically praying for. I invite you to pray with me for these things, for our church in 2016. But more than that, I want you to find something that you are fasting for. What is your need? What do you need God to do in your life? Physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, relational. What is it that God could do for you? If I had a magic wand, if I could give you one wish, other than more wishes, what would you really want right now more than anything? God is able to do more than you could ask or think, he said. God is able to do everything, he said. Nothing is too hard for God, he said. Let's believe God. Let's believe God that he's able. I know some people that have believed salvation for their children for so long and watched their children get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. Listen, if your child, your loved one, your friend is still alive, if there's breath in their body, there's still hope. Don't give up. Don't give up on God. Don't give up on God saving the people you care about. Don't give up on God delivering you from the, your struggle that you've struggled with for years. Don't give up on God believing that real deep Christianity is for other people, but you've never got it. You can have everything. Jesus said it's God's 
desire. It's God's pleasure to give you everything that he has. He wants to give you the entire kingdom. He wants to lavish love on you. He wants to lavish gifts on you. He wants to give you peace and joy and righteousness without measure. That's not just for preachers. That's just not for people who, who are religious fanatics. That's for all of us. Whatever you need God to do big time for you, I want you to fast for that and let God know. Call, if you've got a spouse, a loved one, a family member, you've you got a child that's unsaved, you, you do, do away with lunch every day. Do away with, with, with whatever you do away. Whatever you And let God know, God, I could be watching TV right now, but I'm praying that you would save my child. You, you believe and pray specifically for what you're fasting for. And we will say, like the people in the book of Joel said, surely God has done great things. Let's pray. God, thank you for being great. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being the God who still saves. Lord, I pray for family members that aren't saved, that you would save them. Show yourself mighty. God, I pray, Lord, for our church that you would allow us to have a great impact in this community. Not for us, never to make Abundant Life's name big, but to make your name big. Help us, God, to love each other the way we should. Help us, God, to serve you the way we should. God, I pray that you would increase our faith in 2016, that we would study your word more, that we would pray more, that we would get right with our giving, that we would truly begin to pay the tithe and give free will offerings that we would truly begin to spend time on our knees serving you, loving you, talking to you. Help us, God, to be and do all that you've called us to be and do. Lord, I thank you for each person who's here tonight. Lord, I pray that you would bless us as we leave this place. Encourage us. Strengthen our faith, God. Fill us with your love is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We truly appreciate the opportunity to pour into your lives each week. For more information or to donate to Abundant Life's ministry, please check out our website at www.alcfnow.org.